Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He's describing himself as the enemy's number one target. The enemy has marked me down as number one target. My family is the number two target. They want to destroy Ukraine politically by destroying the head of state. And with perhaps 400 Russian mercenaries casing the streets of Kyiv looking for him, he's not wrong. Wearing a dark green T-shirt in place of his usual shirt and tie and speaking from a video link in hiding... Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed the European Parliament earlier this week, saying his country had proven its resolve. We have proven our strength. We have proven that, as at a minimum, we are exactly the same as you are. So do prove that you are with us. As Vladimir Putin's assault on the Ukrainian capital intensifies, the now wartime president continues to preach courage and fortitude. He's also become a kind of national hero. If Russia underestimated Ukraine's capacity to resist and the fortitude of the country's leader, it may be because Zelensky is no conventional politician. Back in 2006, Zelensky won the Ukrainian version of Dancing with the Stars. Check out the man's moves. With three years now as Ukraine's president and three years playing one on TV, who exactly is Vladimir Zelensky? How did this man come to lead his country in its darkest hour since World War II? You're listening to Stories of Our Times in the Times and the Sunday Times. Today, Vladimir Zelensky, TV comedian turned wartime president. My name's Peter Conradi. I'm the Europe editor of the Sunday Times, and you've just caught me before I'm due to fly off to Tallinn, the capital of Estonia, to take a look at how Putin's invasion is going down in that country, and particularly with the substantial Russian minority that live there. Let's start off with the here and now for Vladimir Zelensky as we speak. Where is he right now? Hmm. Very good question. You're not the only one that would like to know that. A large number of Russian mercenaries apparently hunting for him would also like to know that. 
I mean, as far as we know, he is in Kiev. We don't know where he is in Kiev. He keeps popping up from time to time, largely on social media, making short broadcasts from the street. We are all here. Our soldiers are here. The citizens of our country are here. We are all here protecting our independence, our country. But he's certainly, as far as we can tell, in the capital and determined to stay there. And how has he responded to the threats by for or from mercenaries, the idea that there are people in there trying to find him? Um, with extraordinary courage, I think, and with defiance. I mean, he has said very early on in this conflict, he's acknowledged that he is target number one as far as Vladimir Putin is concerned and that his family, his wife and his two children, 17-year-old girl and a, a nine-year-old boy, are targets number two. But, you know, he is the symbol of Ukraine. He's the president of Ukraine, and he's determined to defy the Russians at every step. Do you think the Russians would kill him if they could? I think that, I think they would undoubtedly kill him. I mean, if one looks at what Vladimir Putin has done so far in terms of staging such an enormous invasion of a country, I think killing the president would be completely in character. You know, how they would do it, how they would explain that they'd done it remains to be seen. But I think there's no doubt he, that Putin would show absolutely no mercy towards him. Tell us about his presence in the last week, the videos he's been making, and perhaps contrast it with the things that Vladimir Putin has been doing and where Vladimir Putin has been appearing. Well, exactly. That, that's the extraordinary thing, I think, when one comes to look at this conflict from the outside which is that President Zelensky has been following, I suppose what one could call a very kind of modern, social media savvy kind of campaign. He's been out on the streets, he's been recording little snippets of video, he's been making appeals, using pictures, you know, all the kind of tools of modern social media, of modern communications. So on one hand, one has this very modern, simply heroic kind of figure. On the other, there's Vladimir Putin, which, you know, who with every day that passes looks more and more like a Bond villain in his bunker. I decided to conduct a special military operation. Whoever would try to stop us and further create threats to our country, to our people, should know that Russia's response will be immediate and lead you to such consequences that you have never faced in your history. I mean, be it the ridiculously long table which he sits with his other officials, you know, they're sitting at least six, seven, eight feet away from him at the far end of this table. And it's really old school menace. He's clearly not wanting to win hearts and minds. This is just the embodiment of a brutal strongman, really. Now, one of the things that Zelensky's been doing, which Putin notably hasn't been doing in return, is he's reached out to ordinary Russians. Can you tell us a bit about that and why, in his case, if he can get through to them, that's not ineffective? Yeah, I think, basically, Zelensky has got three target audiences. The first target audience is his fellow Ukrainians, because he's there, he's trying to rally them 
around him, around the nation. He wants them to stand firm because they're clearly outnumbered from a military point of view. So it's very, very important that he should be rallying support around them. The second constituency is obviously the outside world because he's looking to America, he's looking to Britain, he's looking to Europe for military support, for financial support, and so on. The third constituency are ordinary Russians across the border in Russia. I mean, this war is different, I think, from a lot of wars that one has because they, it's between people who are essentially part of the same cultural space. I mean, if one looks at, at Zelensky, his native language is not Ukrainian, it's Russian. He grew up speaking Russian. So he, he speaks, obviously, he speaks fluent Russian. When he talks to Russians, he sounds just like one of them. He sounds like their cousin who lives in Ukraine, their brother who lives in Ukraine, any relative that they've got in Ukraine, of which the Ukraine, of which the Russians have got, have got plenty. And so he's essentially appealing directly to them as individuals, essentially saying, you know, what are you doing? What are your soldiers doing in this country? What is your son who's fighting or your husband who's fighting actually doing to our people? And, and doing a very, very sort of passionate person-to-person -person real appeal, really appealing to their humanity. There is really a sense in which criticism that there was or had been of Zelensky, you know, say a year ago and also more directly in the run-up to the Russian invasion, has largely faded away, that he has done such a good job of rallying the nation behind him through his personal courage, through just the way he's presented the struggle as being a very simple good against evil, innocent Ukraine in a sense against these sort of Russian invaders that, you know, it, it can't but go down well, I think, with his domestic audience. Let's now talk a bit about Zelensky's history. Peter, where did Zelensky grow up? Where was he born and where was his upbringing? Well, he was born in 1978 in a medium-sized Ukrainian city called Krivyry, if you take the Ukrainian pronunciation of it, or Krivoy Rog, if you take the Russian spelling. And I mean, the Russian spelling is significant because it's essentially a Russian-speaking part of Ukraine, which, was, which is quite an important part of his identity. So he's a Ukrainian, but he's a Russian-speaking Ukrainian. Also quite interesting is that he was born into a Jewish family. Both his parents were Jewish. His great-grandfather died in the Holocaust, as did, I think, three of his great-grandfather's brothers. He's, I think, Europe's only Jewish leader, which is interesting, particularly in the context of Russian propaganda attempts to portray Ukraine as somehow being a, a hotbed of far-right neo-Nazis, to paint him, Zelensky, as somehow being the head of a, a neo-Nazi regime, which is, is a little bit absurd, I think, given he's Jewish to start with. So he was he, he grew up in this family. His father was a professor in the Department of, of Cybernetics, so obviously a very smart guy. His mother was an engineer. Zelensky himself went to university to study law, but at the same time, he was getting really interested in, in comedy. He clearly discovered that he had a, a talent for it. And he set up a, a kind of a troupe of actors, which was called Quartal 95, which over time grew 
into a television production company, which started, I think, when he was 25 or so, to start producing shows for Ukrainian television. To have, at the age of 25, start producing shows for Ukrainian television is, is pretty good going. And I mean, he made a, quite a lot of money quite quickly and became a big name in the Ukrainian entertainment industry. So actually, this kind of notion that he is a comedian, and I don't want in any sense to be seen to be looking down on comedians, but the, the idea that he, he just acts other people's words and so on, other people's shows, that's not really quite right. Actually, he, is, he can organise a business. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes, indeed. I mean, he's much more than just a, a comedian. I mean, people focus on some of his roles, the fact, for example, that he, he voiced Paddington Bear in the uh, Ukrainian version of the film that he was in. He actually won Dancing with the Stars, sort of the Ukrainian equivalent of Strictly. Yes, he's a very, very well-known face and has been for a long time, but behind the scenes, he, together with a few very, very close associates, was running a multi-million pound turnover production company. Now, he got a big break, didn't he, in 2015 with this particular show, Servant to the People. What's that about? Yeah, Servant of the, Pe of the People is a series about a Ukrainian history teacher in a very, very normal sort of everyman kind of figure, a history teacher in a Ukrainian school who gets, like many, many Ukrainians, really frustrated about the level of corruption in the country, the fact that everything is bureaucratic, the fact that nothing works and so on. And he has a rant about this one day in a classroom. I think when he thinks no one is listening. This rant is secretly recorded by one of his pupils. It's uploaded onto YouTube. It suddenly becomes an internet sensation. Someone launches a crowdfunding campaign and Surprise, surprise, he is elected president. So this, <laughs> this series, which is actually on Netflix, you can watch it. I've watched it. Don't worry, it's subtitled. It's actually in Russian rather than Ukrainian, interestingly. And it, this kind of shows his rise to become president and then subsequently his struggles once he's become president to deal with all these problems. Again, to use this horrible life-imitating-art phrase, this is essentially what happens, that he then stands for president, the real-life Zelensky stands for president, as this series, Servant of the People, is still running on Ukrainian television. Right. Actually, it's, it's prophetic, Servant of the People, isn't it? Because the thing that is in the series is the thing that then happens. Of course, the real man decides to enter politics. Can you tell us about how that happened? The president at the time was a guy called Petro Poroshenko, a very, very different character from President Zelensky. He himself had an interesting background. He was known as the chocolate king in Ukraine because he'd made a fortune in confectionery business. He had become quite unpopular by the time the 2019 election came along and Zelensky stood against him. The reason he gave for standing for president was essentially, I think, disappointment with the failure of Poroshenko, his predecessor, to tackle corruption. I mean, his main platform when standing in the election was really to westernize Ukraine in the sense of, of turning it into a normal 
Western-style functioning democracy. How did he run his campaign? I think you went over for it a bit of it, didn't you? I, I did indeed, yes. I mean, I went over to Ukraine to cover his election campaign, expecting it to be a campaign, I suppose, like those that I've witnessed elsewhere in European countries, whether in France or in Germany or wherever. And completely different. The event, particular event that I went to was, A, it was held in a shopping centre on the outskirts of Kiev, and it was essentially a cabaret. And people paid money to go in. And there he was on stage, the guy that wanted to become the president of Ukraine, along with fellow members of his theatrical troupe, Kvartal 95. Pretty old style kind of cabaret, I think, that you probably wouldn't see in Britain these days. So a lot of pretty scantily clad, glamorous young dancing girls, pretty non-PC kind of jokes. I mean, he, Zelensky, was making jokes about his opponents. He was making jokes about himself. He was making jokes about the fact that he was Jewish. I mean, it was like nothing was off limits. The audience absolutely loved it. Coming up. Zelensky wins a landslide victory, but his presidency is immediately imperiled as he finds himself on the wrong footing with the most powerful man in the world. And no, I don't mean Vladimir Putin. But first... I'm Matt Chorley. I'm a columnist for The Times and presenter on Times Radio. And we try to cover all the biggest stories, bringing you politics without the boring bits. We can only do this thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. So subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So... You go to this very unlikely man running his very unlikely campaign, and then he wins. How how well did he win? The Ukrainian elections are held over two rounds. The first round, he was one of 39 candidates. I mean, the, the ballot paper was several feet long, I remember. <laughs> um, he topped the first round. Then the second round, held a few weeks later, was a runoff between himself and Petro Poroshenko, the outgoing president. And he, Zelensky, won by 73% to 24%. So absolute landslide. 
Дякую. Thank you to my parents for their support and for living through all of this. Thanks to my team for their strength and stamina. Had my wife heard all of the things that were said about me in this campaign, then perhaps she would never have married me. Let's mark that because that's not just significant about him. It's significant despite its corruption about Ukraine because there's the sitting president who is defeated in a landslide and gives over office to his opponent. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a key difference between Russia and Ukraine. Those people that have looked at Ukraine over the years, they've criticized Ukraine for the corruption, they've criticized Ukraine for failing to carry out necessary reforms. But I think what we have seen very clearly in Ukraine since 1991 is that it's a proper functioning democracy in the sense that it is possible to get rid of a leader in a way that is completely impossible in Russia. And yeah, he beat him, the incumbent Poroshenko, by a huge margin. And Poroshenko obviously wasn't happy, but he accepted defeat with good grace and he left office. Now, talking of people who don't accept defeat with good grace, the next time we in Britain really hear about Zelensky, of course, is when he gets into trouble with Donald Trump. When they look at the information, it's a joke. Impeachment for that? When you have a wonderful meeting or you have a wonderful phone conversation? So here we have Zelensky, who was elected at the end of April 2019. He's just settling into being president. And he gets a telephone call on July the 25th, 2019, from Donald Trump, the leader of the most powerful country in the world, asking him for a favor, as Trump apparently put it. The uh, president, the new president of Ukraine, is looking to stop corruption. Uh, there's a lot of corruption going on. Essentially, he, Trump, wanted Zelensky to launch an investigation of Joe Biden, or more precisely, of what Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, had been up to through his various complicated commercial activities in Ukraine. And the implication of this phone call was that unless Zelensky launched this inquiry, several hundred million pounds worth of military aid that the Americans were going to give Ukraine just wouldn't get through. And what did Zelensky do? Well, he managed to stand up to Trump and the investigation was not launched. And as we know, in the end, Trump faced impeachment over the whole issue. Did it hurt Zelensky at all in Ukraine or his reputation abroad that he had been embroiled in this, even if it was against his will? No, I don't, I don't think it did, because I think he came out of it relatively well. I mean, had he launched an investigation, had he bowed to Trump's pressure, I think that would have really counted against him. This was, in a sense, the first major test for his presidency, and he survived it. Right. Now, there was a hostage crisis, wasn't there, in 2020, which he had a significant part in resolving. Yeah, this was an ex extraordinary incident, which I think just shows how different he is as a leader or a reflection of his past as an actor. There was essentially a gunman who held 13 hostages on a bus in a city in the west of Ukraine called Lutsk. And there was, a, I think, a 12-hour or so standoff. The gunman was threatening to kill the hostages. Zelensky, who was out of the country at the time on, on a foreign visit, he got embroiled in this. He kind of essentially negotiated directly with the hostage taker. And a bizarre kind of 
deal was done between them, that the, the hostage taker demanded that he, Zelensky, post a video on social media recommending that people watch a documentary made by Joachim Phoenix called Earthlings about human mistreatment of animals. And so the government said, essentially, if you broadcast this appeal, I'll release the hostages. So Zelensky recorded this video, uploaded it. Film Zimlyani, 2005. And the hostage drama ended absolutely peacefully. No one was hurt. The hostage taker was taken alive and was imprisoned. And the whole thing was dealt with. I mean, I'm not sure I can imagine Boris Johnson and certainly not Vladimir Putin doing the same thing. Now, you talked earlier about how he ran on an anti-corruption platform. How did his anti-corruption campaign go? That's the big question. The problem with Ukraine is that Ukraine, ever since it gained independence following the breakup of the Soviet Union in 1991, has been a hugely corrupt place, a hugely badly run place. If you compare and contrast Ukraine and Poland just over the border, around the early 90s, they were essentially in the same place economically. Now you look at the size of the Polish economy compared to the Ukrainian economy, it's probably three or four times bigger. You know, part of that is due to the fact that Poland is in the EU and has had an enormous amount of EU aid. But the other thing is that Ukraine has been really mired in corruption. There's been collusion between big business and the government. Different leaders have come in the intervening period, have promised to deal with corruption and haven't really succeeded and have ended up just enriching another set of oligarchs who were just as powerful in their country as their Russian equivalents. And so the process has gone on in the intervening years. Zelensky, he made some progress, but the criticism was that he certainly hasn't made nearly as much progress as he could have done or people would have liked him to have done. Questions particularly have been asked about his links with a Ukrainian billionaire oligarch called Ihor Kolomoisky, who ran into problems with the previous government in Ukraine, who fled the country, then came back to Ukraine after Zelensky was elected. The two men had kind of commercial links insofar as Kolomoisky was linked with the television station that broadcasts his programs. So I think the intention was there for him seriously to tackle corruption, but it, it's tricky in Ukraine just because it's so well entrenched. And presumably because these oligarchs have a lot of money and a lot of power and they're good at resisting you. Yeah, they do indeed. That's the problem. What did the Ukrainian people think about the way in which he tackled corruption? Was the consensus that he was doing his best, or was there a perception that actually he was a bit like the rest, which is that he's taught the talk but didn't walk the walk? I think he started off with an enormous amount of goodwill from Ukrainian people, but over time, that goodwill began to fade away. And I mean, had there been an election perhaps six months ago, it's by no means certain that he would have been re-elected. Let's now talk about the lead-up to the Russian invasion. When the US in particular, and Britain to an extent, were making their warnings only a few weeks ago about the Russian build-up, the mood music coming out of Ukraine was that Zelensky was sceptical about these warnings. Do you think he was genuinely sceptical? Or do you think that he was playing some other kind of game? I mean, this was truly puzzling. 
Starting November, December, we saw initially it was just sort of leaks appearing in the American press. And then subsequently, it was more clear, overt statements from the Biden administration, which were echoed in Britain, saying, look, these 130, 140, 150,000 Russian troops that are massed all the way along your border, which are now on exercises in Belarus as well, which also borders with Ukraine. You know, they are planning a full-scale invasion of your country. And Zelensky, in public at least, would not accept this. The feeling you get from the media is that we have a war, we have troops on the roads, we have mobilization, people are going somewhere. That is not the case. We do not need this panic. I was following the Munich Security Conference, a big event that was held five days before the Russian invasion. A number of speakers there, Kamala Harris, the American vice president, was there. They were all saying, Russia is about to invade your country. And Zelensky's approach was, no, they're not. You have your intelligence. I have my intelligence. He wasn't exactly laughing it off. But he seemed to be thinking it was completely impossible that the Russians would invade. Now, why was he doing that? People couldn't quite understand it at the time. It seems even more puzzling now we know what Putin has done and what Putin apparently was always intending to do. Now, there's one theory which I think was quite plausible at the time was that he saw the massing of troops as being themselves a form of warfare in terms of trying to unsettle his regime, to try and topple his regime. And he felt that, in a sense, by admitting there was a danger of invasion, he'd be somehow giving in to Putin, he'd be sowing panic, he'd be leading to his country's economic collapse and so on. Fair enough, but in the end, it certainly didn't stop the invasion. There have been subsequently claims that some of the people close to him, such as Ihor Kolomoisky, billionaire oligarch who's very close to him, uh, Andriy Yermak, his chief of staff, are themselves sort of quite pro-Russian, quite anti-Western, and that they really didn't want to believe this. And they thought that Putin was bluffing. They didn't think it was happening. And that they somehow coloured his judgment. The invasion happened. And I imagine from everything you've said that for Ukrainians, the image of their president has been transformed in the last week. I mean, it has been completely. I mean, in the run-up to the invasion, there were lots of questions being asked, not just in the West, but in Ukraine itself, about Zelensky's unwillingness to accept that they were in danger. Now, there were some people saying at the time and have subsequently said this was a big mistake because, OK, you can say what you like in public, but in private, you should have been strengthening defences along the border. You should have been calling up reservists much earlier. You should have been doing all these things to prepare for an invasion. Now the wars started, all this has been put aside, but not necessarily forgotten. If Zelensky gets out of this war alive, if Ukraine survives this war, we can perhaps expect that some questions will be asked about, was Ukraine prepared enough? Could it have been better prepared? Could Zelensky have done more? By the same token, if Zelensky does, in a sense, lead his country, if not to victory, then not to defeat by Russia, I think there will be such a wave of support for him of having you know, achieved the impossible, which is to see off this much larger, much better armed, much better resourced enemy just across the border. In the end, Peter, his 
future doesn't really depend very much on what he says and does, does it? No. I mean, we can sit as much as we like in London, in Paris, in Berlin, in America, whatever, watching these videos of Zelensky on social media, his heroism, his humor. But you don't win a war with Twitter. You don't win a war with Instagram. Ultimately, you win a war with tanks, with aircraft, with missiles, with artillery. And sadly, Russia has got an awful lot of all of those. If and when they choose to use them, there's nothing really Zelensky can do against them but to rally his people to fight as hard as they can. He's going to become, isn't he, one of the great post-war myths and legends. Yeah, whatever happens, whether, and one hopes this isn't the case, whether he dies heroically in battle or whether he and Ukraine somehow survive this, he will have gone from being a something almost of a joke. I mean, a comedian who comes to power as a result of a TV program, all this weird kind of situation. He's, he's just going to become a straightforward, great war leader of the sort that very, very few European countries have seen in the past decades. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Peter Conradi, Europe editor of The Sunday Times. You can find all of Peter's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel and Ollie Adamson. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you found this episode useful, please do rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps others find us. Thanks for listening. See you soon.